I said, some of you look 31 years older, but I don't. So I noticed one thing that you take the offering before the sermon. And I asked the ushers why, and one of them said to me, we count it, and if there's not enough, we're going to take another one. So there is going to be an offering at the end of the service. We're going to do it a little differently. We're going to ask you all to stand and reach into the wallet of the person standing in front of you and give like you've always wanted to give. So now it is a pleasure to be back here, and you've got a new pastor, St. Kevin the Meyer. And so the fun, the work, and the challenge have begun. And one of the things I do in addition to um, helping parents whose kids fall into alcohol and drug addiction is to do interim pastorates. Interestingly enough, over the last few years I've been able to, I don't know if I've helped, but they've asked me to help uh, seven churches prepare for their next senior pastor. But there's a church in Phoenix where we live, and I consulted it for a little while. Obviously, I didn't do a very good job because... Uh, the church has uh, grown from 2,000 to 1,000 in the last seven years. And I asked one of the leaders in the church, what's going on? Why is that happening? And he said, it's happening because our pastor cannot say no to anyone. So if someone has an idea, he says yes. Consequently, the church has no direction because everybody gets to do what they want to do. Uh, I helped a church in Palm Springs. It's a church of about 5,000 people. And I had occasion to go back a number of times and bump into people in the, in the church. And I said, how do you like your new pastor? Because he's a, he's a guy I've known for a long time and I have great respect for him. I got five different answers when I asked that question. How do you like your new pastor? Here's the first answer. He's a very weak preacher. Second answer, he's a great preacher. Third answer, he teaches the Bible verse by verse. Fourth answer, he doesn't teach the Bible verse by verse, but he teaches the Bible by great themes in the Bible. Fifth answer, he's a great orator. Five different people see their pastor in five different ways. And one of the things I've learned over the years is that there is a difference among my opinions and my values and the truth or absolutes. I'll give you an example. Uh, I went to a church where the pastor had to be dismissed for some um, sexual indiscretions. And it was a very sad time for the church, as you can imagine. Seven weeks after he left, he started a church seven miles, six weeks after he left. He started a church seven miles from that church. I'm sitting in Phoenix preparing for the sermon, those four sermons for that weekend. And I thought it would be I would be remiss in my duties if I didn't speak to that issue. But I didn't I didn't know how to speak to it. And that's when I landed on that thought that there's a difference between my opinions, my values and absolutes. My values are that it would be wrong to start a church six weeks later, seven miles from where you just left. But I don't know that the Bible speaks to that. The Bible speaks in absolutes. And there's a difference between absolutes and our values. But sometimes we raise our opinions or our values to the level of absolutes. And then we make people feel guilty or we bash them along the head 
with our Bibles because they don't hold to our values, which we have raised to the level of absolutes. So this morning, I want us to think together as you've begun this new work and this new fun and this new challenge with a new pastor, how we relate together as a family. So if you're following along in your outline or following along on the screen, I call this first point the wonder of the family of God. In first Peter, chapter two, verse nine, Peter writes, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God. If you still use the old King James Bible version, that would and you're reading it right now, that last phrase wouldn't say a people belonging to God, but it would say a peculiar people. No wonder we did away with the King James Bible. It calls us all peculiar. But actually, when you think about it, the word peculiar is someone who's just a little different from the rest of us. And in our culture and in our nomenclature, it always has a negative connotation. When the King James Bible was written, it didn't have that connotation. It had the connotation of someone who is different because they know God. And what Peter is trying to help us understand is because we're a part of the family of God, our lives and our behavior should be different from people who are non-Christians. The other day I was uh, golfing and they put me together with three guys that I didn't know. And it was fun to be with two of them, but at the, uh, you have to think that through. I golf with three guys and it was fun to be with two of them. Come on, you guys, help me out here. And uh, so at the end of the time, they said, do you want to get a Coke or get a burger? And so we were sitting there and a man older than I am uh, was complaining. And he said, the pro here at this club needs to lighten up. He needs to learn how to smile. Now, that's what people who aren't born again Christians do. They talk about people who are not there. They talk about people behind their back. But what Peter is trying to help us understand is that we are to be different and we shouldn't do that. We shouldn't be talking behind people's backs. And so I thought, I wonder if I could say something that would change the tone here a little bit. So he said he needs to learn how to smile at people. And I looked at this man and said, he smiles at people that he likes. And just for a second, you could see a jolt on this guy's face. And then I smiled at him. But the point I think was made, and that is, if you don't think the pro smiles enough, go tell him. Don't tell me because I'm not going to go tell the pro that Al doesn't think you smile enough. In Ephesians chapter five, verses one and two, the Apostle Paul writes, be imitators of God. Therefore, as the dearly beloved people Live a life of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up as a fragrant offering. We sang about this fragrant offering just a few moments ago. The song we sang was about lighting fragrant offerings as an offering to God in the temple before Jesus came. But the symbolism follows through that our lives are to be a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. So the challenge to us from the one who loves us and the one who gave his life for us is that we're to be thinking through as we live life. How can I be an imitator of God today? Not how can I be an imitator of a secular value system, but how can I be an imitator of God? And let's be honest, all of us fall short. But we can't be content with where we are, but we need to be thinking through on a daily basis. How can I be an imitator of God? 
Now, some truths to consider as we think about being an imitator of God and being a part of the family of God. For in, Paul writes in First Thessalonians 5.11, Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up. The word encourage is exactly the same word that's used in John chapter 13 through 17 when Jesus Christ is introducing the Holy Spirit. It means to come alongside someone. It means to call them to what is right. It means to call them to righteousness. So the Apostle Paul is saying to us that none of us have achieved perfection. All of us need to be growing in Christ and we need to be helping one another by coming alongside one another and pointing out errors when our brothers or sisters are doing it wrong. Encourage one another and build one another up. The word build up is exactly the same word that Paul would have used if he had been talking about building a house. If you think about the building of a house or the building of a building, it's built one step at a time, one nail at a time, one brick at a time, one two before at a time. And Paul is trying to help us understand that we all need one another. We all need to be encouraging one another to grow. In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24, the writer to the Hebrews, we don't know who that is, writes, Let us consider how we may spur one another on to love and good deeds. I know if you're here and you're under the age of 40, it's hard to understand this, but we used to use paper and pencil to add up a column of figures. And some of you remember that when we used to do that in the first grade and the second grade and take the number down and carry the number up and carry the next number up. It's exactly the word that this person used talking about considering a column of numbers, but rather considering our brothers and sisters in Christ and how we're to have a positive effect on them. And what he or she says is that we're to be considering one another, how we may provoke them or encourage them or spur them on to love and good deeds. In other words, none of us love naturally. None of us do good deeds naturally. We need other people helping us to grow. And maybe the third, next verse is one where the value system of our society affects us the most. And by that I'm saying affects us negatively. Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 4, Do not let any unwholesome word come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for building others up according to the need of the moment. When we in 21st century America read that word unwholesome, almost always what goes to our mind is that he must be writing about something that has a sexual connotation, a negative sexual connotation. And that is true, but the word is much bigger than that and it's much broader than that. And that means any word that's useless, any word that's rotten, any word that doesn't help say something positive to the moment. So what he's trying to help us understand is that we're not to be influenced by the culture in which we live, but rather think through are the words that I'm speaking right now or are the words that I'm going to speak somehow going to have a positive impact on this person to whom I'm talking. And then he says a few verses later, be kind and compassionate to one another. And the word kindness we see in the fruit of the spirit in Galatians chapter five, verses 22 and 23, where the Apostle Paul says that the fruit of the spirit includes goodness and kindness. And kindness is the expression of the goodness of our heart. So our words are always an expression of our heart. Let me give you an example in the opposite. When my mom, our mom died almost five years ago, there was some money that my brother and my sister inherited uh, it sort of ticked me off because I always thought that I was her favorite and she gave us all the same. And I don't know why. But at any rate, my, my father was the oldest of 11 kids. And my, my father and my mother really loved 
my youngest uncle, my father's youngest brother. In fact, they helped raise him. And one day, only you golfers will understand this, but one day he, he just happened to mention to me, he said, I've been thinking about getting a set of Ping Zing clubs. And so my mom died and I bought him a set of clubs and I gave them to him. And when I gave them to him, he said, I, I can't accept these from you. And I said, they're not from me. They're from my mom and from my dad who dearly loved you. And this isn't just an expression of their love. If they had thought about it, they had heard you say it, they'd give them to you. So take them. I said that kindly. Take them. So we were golfing later and somebody tried to steal some of his clubs. And I was very angry. I was so angry that I thought I could have hit that man. Now, where did that come from? It came from my heart. Except that part of my heart is dirty, not clean. But here's what Paul is saying, that we're to be expressing kindness and compassion to one another. And that kindness comes out of our heart. Now, I know that I look about 35, but I just turned 64 on Mother's Day. Can you imagine giving birth to me on Mother's Day in 1944? But one of the things that I find that I think our generation does is that we're much too harsh on the younger generation. I had the privilege of being in Eugene, Oregon for the last eight months to do an interim pastorate. I was there on the weekends was, is where I went to college. And so it was it was fun to be back and to see people in that church that I had gone to school with. And one day, Susan and I were out for lunch and it was one of these places where you go to the counter and order and then they bring the food to you. And there was a tip jar there. And and I think I'm a generous tipper and I dropped in a hundred dollar bill or something. I can't remember. <laughs> And the young woman's name was Stephanie, and I'd already explained to her that her name means crown in Greek, and I call my daughter crown sometimes. So I dropped the money in, and the young woman said, thank you. And I said, thank you. And she said, why did you say thank you to me when I just said thank you to you? And I said, well, I said thank you to you when you said thank you to me, because oftentimes people of your generation don't say thank you when I drop the tip in. I just wanted you to know that I appreciated your saying thank you to me. And that's why I said thank you to you. <laughs> now, I can either go through life as a 64 year old man being angry and grousing about younger generation or just recognize that some of these younger generation weren't raised by the parents that I had who said either say yank, say thank you or get in trouble. Some of you were raised the same way. Let me read you something by a man named Lester Tenney. This is what he says about the younger generation. The younger generation, now reaching maturity, seems utterly incapable of taking on their responsibilities to the nation. They are aimless, soft, and generally immature. That was written in 1939. About the generation that won World War II. The name of the book, if you want to read it, is My Hitch in Hell. Because Mitch Tenney was in the Bataan Death March. He quotes a social commentator on his generation as young men. I just finished reading a book and I would commend it to all of you. Not some of you, but all of you. It's by Gordon MacDonald and it's called Who Stole My Church? And it's about 
this conflict between generation of my age and younger generation. And he talks about a young man named Ben who comes to the church with dreadlocks and people don't know how to respond to him. And one night, a man named Ernie takes him to a hockey game. It's a novel written in New Hampshire. And a group of Ernie's com- uh, uh, um, friends, I can't think of the word I was going to use, colleagues say this to Ernie. Uh, Ernie apparently had all registered. Ben told Connie this morning that his time with you could not have been better. You were the first man who ever treated him with respect and dignity. You listened to him and you trusted him with your story. My story, Ernie said. Yes, the very things you told me that you told him. But I wasn't sure that any of that would be interesting to him. Interesting. That's the greatest gift men our age have to give to these young men. Whatever you want to say about the homes we grew up in, the fact is that most of us had adults who were basically available to us. But Ben is a good example of a generation that feels fatherless and sometimes even motherless. Too many of them have never heard their parents' stories. No one was around at the right times to take on their questions and help them figure out how they were going to make their way in this world. So they had to figure it out for themselves or get insights from their peers. And last night was an important evening for Ben. An older man took him seriously. So I want to encourage you, people our age need to think through how can we express kindness to people of a younger generation. And then John writes in John chapter one about Jesus Christ. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the father, full of grace and truth. The word grace, as John uses, it means that Jesus Christ always was having a positive impact in the lives of people with whom he was interacting. We sometimes talk about grace today as though it's just a free gift of grace. In fact, I know seminaries that argue about grace or a lack of grace. Generally, it's not a very gracious argument. But what John is telling us about Jesus is that he was full of grace and truth. And I would encourage you that you and I should be the same. Now, having said all of that, how do we violate God's word and how do we violate his plan? And how do we violate this whole issue that we are this truth, that we are a part of the family of God and that we're to be be belonging to one another and encouraging one another? Well, here are some things that I came up with. First of all, just assume that we are right. If I'm right, then you're wrong. And if you're right, then I'm wrong. But generally, when we have that attitude is when we've listed our value, lifted our values up to the level of the absolutes of the scripture. Or we assume that there is no other acceptable view. The only view is my view. Let me read this to you. Somebody sent it to me a few months ago about the issue of music in the church today. I read it to the church in Eugene and they liked it. So I thought you might like it. Doesn't even have a title. I'll just start reading The farmer went to the city and attended the big city church. On returning, his wife asked how it was. Well, the farmer said it was good. They did something different. They sang praise choruses instead of hymns. Praise choruses, said his wife. What are those? Oh, they're sort of like hymns, only different, said the farmer. Well, what's the difference, asked the wife. The farmer said, well, it's like this. If I were to say to you, Martha, the cows are in the corn, well, that would be a hymn. If, on the other hand, I were to say to you, Martha, 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 oh, Martha, 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 
the cows, the big cows, the black cows, the brown cows, the cows, the cows, the cows are in the corn, are in the corn, are in the corn, are in the corn, corn, corn. And if I were to repeat the whole thing two or three times, well, that would be a praise chorus. As luck would have it, the exact same Sunday, a young man from the city church attended the small town church. He came home and, asked his wife, and his wife asked him how it was. Well, the young man said it was good. They did something different, however. They sang hymns instead of regular songs. Hymns, said his young wife. What are those? Oh, they're like regular songs, only different. Well, what's the difference, she said. Well, the young man said, well, it's like this. If I were to say to you, Martha, the cows are in the corn, that would be a regular song. But if, on the other hand, I were to say to you, oh, Martha, dear Martha, hear thou my cry. Inclinest thine ear to the words of my mouth. Turn thy whole wondrous ear by and by to the righteous, inimitable, glorious truth for the way of the animals who can explain there in their heads is no shadow of sense. Hearkenest they in God's son or his reign unless from the mild tempting corn they are fenced. <laughs> Yea, these cows and glad bovine in rebellious delight have broken free from their shackles, their warm pens and shoed and their goat and then goaded by minions in darkness and night. Then all my mild sweet corn have chewed. So look to the bright shining day by and by where all foul corruptions of earth are reborn. Here no innocuous animal makes my soul cry and I no longer see cows in my corn. <laughs> and if I were only to do verses one, three and four and then do a key change on the last verse, that would be him. Now, the interesting thing is the church in, in Eugene, Oregon, or excuse me, Oregon, as Minnesotans would say, came up to one of the pastors after one of the services after I read that. And he said, that botter, he's trying to do away with hymns in his church. <laughs> and the pastor said to the man, didn't you, didn't you hear the second part? He's making fun of everybody. But isn't it true? Instead of listening to the hearts of one another, we attack our brothers and sisters because their view is not our view and our view is the only acceptable view. Thirdly, do not be concerned with expressing ourselves in kindness. Just say it however we want to say it. That's how we violate God's standards. Don't ever communicate with a leader unless we have a criticism. Don't ever say thanks. Don't ever say thanks. I had a fellow at the church in Arizona I pastored came up to me one day and he said, when are you going to teach on the end times? He had never spoken to me before. When are you going to teach on end times? I said, well, I wasn't planning on it. I thought there were more important things to talk about. I said, why do you want me to teach on end times? He said, so I can see where I disagree with you. <laughs> you can't make that up. It's got to be true. <laughs> do not go to the leader who concerns us. Write a letter to the elders or talk to other people, but never go to the person himself or herself. At Christmas time in Eugene, uh, we did a, 
a big musical thing. And then during the middle of it, I did a small sermonette. They only gave me seven minutes. And um, in that time, I, I gave a prayer to receive Christ. And I quoted from the New American Standard Bible where Paul says that Jesus Christ did not consider equality with God a thing to be grasped, but laid aside his deity, took on the form of humanity. Somebody heard that I had said that Jesus wasn't divine here on earth. He wasn't in that service, but he heard that somebody said that. So he began spreading a rumor that I didn't believe that Jesus was divine. I didn't believe Jesus was a God man here on earth. So here I'm only there two days a week, but I've got to call this guy in. I asked the pastor to be there who he had talked to. And I asked the chairman of the church. And I said, are you saying that I don't believe that Jesus is divine? He said, well, that's what I heard. And the pastor interrupted. and He said, the man's name is Jim. I mean, I'll call him Jim. It's Jack, but I'll call him Jim. <laughs> he said, he said, Jim, did you get the tape of the, that sermon? He said, we went immediately. And he said, well, what, what did the tape say? And he said, well, I didn't hear the tape. At that point, trying to be kind, I said, but you said you got the tape. He said, no, I said we went to get the tape, but the tape wasn't available. They didn't make a tape of that sermon. And the pastor said, Jim, my son runs the tape machine. I asked him specifically if copies were made of that sermon. And he said, yes. So this guy on rumor began to say that I didn't believe or don't believe that Jesus is divine and began to tell people that John Vodder said that Jesus is not divine. I said, so not only did you gossip about me, but now you're lying to us. And he said, are you going to kick me out of the church? I said, no, I'm going to shoot you, but I won't kick you out of the church. <laughs> I said, no, I'm not going to kick you out of the church. That's not my place. But I will tell you one thing, Jim. If I were the permanent pastor here, you would not teach again in this church until you apologize and repent for what you've done. But here's a fellow who could have resolved the whole question by just coming to me and saying, I heard that you said that Jesus isn't divine. Do you, is, is that what you believe? But he didn't do that. He started telling people that Vodder said that Jesus isn't divine. Who knows how much damage he did? And finally, do not be supportive of the pastor if he makes a decision with which we disagree. Remember the church back in Phoenix, pastored by Dr. No. Good leaders say no. Now, how to follow God's word and plan. Remember Solomon's words in Proverbs 18, 17. The first to present his case seems right until another comes forward to question him. The Living Bible says that any story seems right until the other person comes to clarify the issue. And I think we need to ask our brothers and sisters, is what you're telling me true or did you hear it by rumor? And I just want you to understand I'm not going to believe that our pastor doesn't believe that Jesus is divine until I ask him myself. I respect you. I love you, but I'm not going to take your word for it because what you're saying is crazy. I mean, just go back to the church in Palm Springs. Five different people have five different views of their pastor. Which is right? 
Secondly, remember, we're building a reputation and a legacy. And part of our reputation is that there is to be a difference about us because we are followers of Christ. The spirit of God is in us as born again believers in Christ. And that is to make a difference in our lives. And part of our legacy is that we're to be men and women who have a reputation and a legacy of kindness and truthfulness and that we don't attack other people. We have to ask ourselves the question, am I building trust or mistrust in how I express myself? You know, the interesting thing is the other day when that golfer complained about the golf pro, I I just caused my that causes me to wonder what will he say about me behind my back? When I was still living in Minnesota, I was flying on an airplane one time and saw a fellow who's a Christian leader. You would know him by name if you don't know him. It was empty seat. He sat down beside me and he began telling me about his organization of which I was not a part. And he kept saying, I just tell you this confidentially. I hardly knew the man. He kept saying, well, I'll just tell you this confidentially. Caused me to wonder, well, I wonder what he says just confidentially about me behind my back. And that's what happens in our secular society. But the Bible is saying we're to be different. Remember, Christian maturity demands being good followers. Hebrews thirteen seventeen says, obey your leaders. And submit to their authority. They keep watch over you as men who must give an account. Obey them so that their work will be a joy. What the writer to the Hebrews is saying is that, uh, let me finish the verse, not a burden will be joy, but not a burden for that would be of no advantage to you. Those of us who have pastors and elders over us and now as a non-pastor person in the church, Susan and I are involved in in Arizona, there's a pastor and elders. And what the writer to the Hebrews is saying is that Susan and I can either make their responsibilities a joy or a burden by how we behave. It's very important for us to understand. Sometimes it's difficult to be a leader because everyone doesn't agree with what the leader decides. But part of our responsibility as members of the body of Christ and members of the family of Christ is that we're to be responsive to our leaders. Do you like to be President Bush or how would you like to be President Clinton and make people famous and then have them go out and write books telling stories of things that happen inside the White House? Who would you trust? And we live in a society that doesn't give a lot of credence to authority and leaders anymore. But the Bible hasn't changed. And as followers of Christ, We're to be men and women who make the responsibility of our leaders in the church an issue of joy. So remember, we're to reflect Christ in all that we do. Now, some personal application, and I've got to quit on time. First of all, we are peculiar people. We're peculiar people. We're to be different from people with whom we interact when their behavior does not reflect Christ. We're to be encouraging people. We're to come alongside our brothers and sisters. To help them grow where they need to grow. And we need to be open to brothers and sisters who come to us to help us grow. We're to be people who build up others. Because we're all still in the process of being built into the conformity of Christ. We're not to have any unwholesome talk. And we're to be kind people. Let me pray together. Father, we thank you for the word of God. We thank you for your word. We thank you that it's not opinion. Or values, but it is 
absolutes. And I pray you would take my attempt to explain this principle of the family of God today and help all of us to do better at it. And we pray this in the name of Christ.